Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for everything that you are and everything that you do. Father, we're nothing and you're everything. Father, I pray that we would be able to understand that more and more and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of of you, Yahweh. Uh, Father Yahweh, we come before your holy of holy place, Father, in the heavenly tabernacle, only by the blood of your Son today. Father, we want to pray for, uh, most importantly, for the salvation, the redemption, Father, the renewal of the heart for anybody, Father, that has been requested prayer today. Or, Father, for anyone in here who may not have a new heart and who may not be saved. Father, I pray for each and every person in here, Father, even those, Father, that that know you and your power, Father, but sometimes get uh, bogged down with the cares of this life and and get listless, Father, and, and not quite as on fire as we need to be. Father, I pray that you would renew a right spirit into us, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Uphold us with your right hand. And Father, let us continue to press on. Father, I pray that you'd bless this sermon. Please, Yahweh, bring back to my memory everything that I've studied about and let me be able to relate this teaching in a way that's easy to understand but at the same time glorifies you, Father, in detailed study and teaching of your word. I believe that's the only way that you're glorified in teaching is is through verse-by-verse examination and and seriously looking at the text of Scripture. So I pray that you'd help me do that, Father, for I can't do it without you. So we thank you for, for all these things, and we pray these things through your Son, our kinsman Redeemer. Amen. I love Yahweh today. Do you love him today? You know, I was singing a song at the house today, Yahweh on the mountain. He's, he's, he's God in the mountaintops. He's God in the valleys. And the song talks about how that people talk about faith when they're up on the mountain. But then when they get put to the test and they're down in the valley, they tend to forget about how they felt when they were up on the mountain. And we can probably all, you know, nod our head or raise our hand that we've been in that area uh, in our life where we talk real big when we're experiencing everything is going our way. But when things start to not go our way, we kind of just forget about, you know, what we felt previous. And I thought about that, but then I thought about the flip side. And the flip side of that was a lot of times, though, people only seek out for Yahweh when they're down in the valley. And it's like when they're up on the mountain, when everything's going good, they don't really seek out for Yahweh. They kind of forget about him and put him on the back burner until they need something. And we don't need to be that type of a people. We need to be a people that need Yahweh all the time. Call out for Him all the time. In every circumstance, we're looking to Him. Whether everything's going like we planned, or even if nothing's going like we planned, we still are to look for Him and serve Him in all circumstances. And I want to title this sermon today from Daniel chapter 1, Yahweh willing, we'll get through the entire chapter. No, that's probably hard to believe for those of you that listen to me teach, but we're going to try to do that in this one sermon, okay? Serve Yahweh in all circumstances, in all walks of life. That's what we're going to learn in Daniel chapter 1. The book of Daniel is going to be very, very exciting. It's amazing what you learn when you actually study complete books of the Bible. 
I hope that you feel that way. I know that I do when I, when I study a complete book of the Bible from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end. A lot of times things open up to me that I've never seen before just glancing at portions of Scripture or taking a Scripture here a little or there a little. And there is a passage in Isaiah where it talks about the here a little and there a little method. And a lot of people try to use that to promote diligent Bible study. But when you look at that verse in context, what that's actually talking about is people that don't study the Bible right. They take a little bit here and a little bit there, and he always says that they might fall backward and become a snare. But that's not how you're to study the Bible. You can take a little here and a little there in different contexts and put them together and make things say what you want them to say and make things turn in your favor. But you can't do that through a diligent verse-by-verse or chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse examination of the Bible. You have to go in line. You have to go in context. And it's so much fun, a lot of people may not use that word in relation to this, but it's so much fun to me to study the Bible in that way. I get enjoyment. It's, it's something that I do for uh, not just education, but it's something that I do for recreation. It is. I enjoy studying the Scriptures book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. So we come to Daniel chapter 1, and we have to ask ourselves what the setting is for the book of Daniel. And the setting for the book of Daniel is the land of Babylon. Those of you that were here for the teachings through the book of Malachi know that that setting was after the captivity of Babylon when the Israelites had came back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, and were reinstating the laws of Yahweh. Here, though, we have a setting where this man named Daniel and some of his friends and a lot of other Judahite people from the house of Judah were placed into Babylonian captivity under a very powerful leader by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 say this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. And you can read about how Nebuchadnezzar took over the Judahite peoples as well as destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, tore down Jerusalem's walls, and burned down all of Jerusalem's palaces in Second Chronicles chapter 36. In doing that, he took the house of Judah to the land of Babylon for the most part, where they would dwell under the command of the king of the Babylonians. Now, those of you that have done any study on the word Babylon or Babylonian, know that it comes from the root word Babel. You've heard of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Do you know why it was called the Tower of Babel? It was because there Yahweh confused the languages. And Babel means confusion. And so Babylon basically means confusion. And let me tell you, it was and still is a place or a state or a land of confusion. A lot of people are still in Babylon up here today in their mind. Maybe not literally in captivity like Daniel was, but Nebuchadnezzar or that Babylonian mindset has people's minds held captive. And this is where Daniel was, but we're going to see that Daniel never forsook his mighty one. 
he continued to stay steadfast and he served Yahweh even in spite of the circumstance that he was placed in, mind you, by the sovereignty of Almighty Yahweh. You know, everything happens for a purpose. Everything does. And I believe that it's all to the glory of Yahweh. My computer crashed last week, and I kept telling myself, somehow, some way, this is to the glory of Yahweh. Whether or not I can understand it, it's, it is to His glory. Now, you might think that it's such a terrible thing for a heathen, foreign ruler to go in and destroy the city of Yahweh and the people of Yahweh. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I think that it is. I think that it's terrible. Take the people of Yahweh away from the place where Yahweh put His name there in Jerusalem. Snatch them out of there and place them into His own land. And I think that's bad. But what placed the Judahites into that circumstance, I believe, is even worse. Second Chronicles 36, verses 15 through 16 tell us that Yahweh, time and time again, sent messengers. He sent prophets to His people. And every time He would send one, to the people of Judah, to the house of Judah, the proclamation was for the people to repent. And repent, we talked about that, means to change your direction. To quit serving sin or Satan and make an about face and go in the opposite direction of keeping the Torah, keeping the law, serving Yahweh. But the reason that the people were placed into Babylon was because they refused to listen to the prophets and to the messengers. That's why. Notice again, in verse 2, it says that the Lord, that is Yahweh, handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him. This did not happen outside of the realm of the mind and the control of Yahweh. Things are not going on on this earth that Yahweh doesn't have control over. All the destruction that happens in the world, from tsunamis to hurricanes to earthquakes, it's not because Yahweh took a day off of the job. It's not because he fell asleep one time and the hurricane sound woke him up and he said, man, I wish I could have been awake so I could have stopped that. That's not how it works with Yahweh. Yahweh's in complete control. Yahweh was in control and he allowed, he allowed his people because of their, their stubbornness and their hard-heartedness and because he loves his people. He disciplines his people. So he sends them over to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This is all in the plan of Yahweh. Yahweh's wrath was so stirred up against his people, he brought the attack through a foreign king on his people. He had already told them previously that if they did not obey, they would be led into a strange land. You can find this in the cursings of Leviticus 26. That was one of the cursings. You don't obey my commandments, I'll put you into a foreign land. I'll make you serve other gods. I'll sift you amongst the nation. That's exactly what happened here. Not only with the house of Israel but also with the house of Judah. They were under the Babylonian government, so to speak. And the Babylonian government at that time, they did not serve Yahweh. They did not keep Yahweh's laws. They did not follow Yahweh's ways. But what we're going to see is that in the midst of the crisis, there were still a few faithful people that were devoted to Yahweh and sought to serve Him in spite of their circumstance. And we can learn a lot from looking at Daniel. Look at verses 3 through 4. The scripture says the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. King Nebuchadnezzar here has his chief official, some Bibles say his chief eunuch, 
somebody that was over his affairs in his kingdom, in his palace. And he has this official to seek out some Israelite men to serve in his palace, to serve him as king. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the men to be of noble blood, somebody who was uh, nobility, somebody that could, in his eyes, be fit to serve in his great and his royal palace. He also required that they be without any physical defect. He said these guys need to be handsome. They need to be suitable for instruction. In other words, they need to be able to learn. They needed to be perceptive. He wanted to teach them literature, the literature of the Babylonians, which was the Chaldean language, similar to the Hebrew, not exactly, but similar to it. Verse 5 says, The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Verse 5 tells us that the king wanted to make sure that these men were well taken care of, seeing they were going to serve in his royal court. And so what he did was he assigned for them daily meals from the royal food and from the royal wine. The king ordered that they were to be given the best food and wine in the kingdom. And then they were to be trained for three years. And then they would be qualified to serve in the king's palace after that training process. Verses 6 through 7 state this. Among them, from the descendants of Judah. Notice we're talking about the house of Judah here. Some Judahites, people from that tribe. It states their names. It says they were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them different names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, the book now gives us the names of the men from Judah that were chosen in service to the king of Babylon. Their names are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, a lot of people know in Christendom today, professing Christian churches, the name of Daniel. I would probably say that more people know Daniel by the name of Daniel than Belteshazzar. However, when it comes to the three friends of Daniel, and mind you, with a little bit of study, you'll find out that these guys were probably in their late teenage years. So Daniel and his buddies were there, and these three guys we know by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you ask most people what were the names of the people in the fiery furnace, they say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that is a true answer, but it's really not the best answer because that was their Babylonian names. That wasn't their name or their names, that their mother gave them and their father gave them. The names that their mother and their father gave them glorified Almighty Yahweh. The names that the king of Babylon, or the chief official, gave to these four guys glorified, glorified the ways of Babylon. The name Daniel means literally God is my judge, or Elohim is my judge. But the name Belteshazzar means the prince of whom Bel favors. And Baal was the name of a chief idol god served by Nebuchadnezzar. You can find this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 8. And this probably notes here, because Daniel was given this name, it probably notes that Daniel was even at this time a favorite amongst those that were chosen. And we'll see that he actually was later on in his life. Next we come to a man whose name was Hananiah, which means Yah or Yahweh has favored, whereas his name was changed to Shadrach. And the name Shadrach... Scholars say it means the command of Aku, Aku being a god of the Babylonians. Notice how his name went from a glorification of Yahweh to a glorification of one of the many gods 
of Babylon. Because Babylon didn't just serve one god. These other nations, they had a god for the rain. They had a god for the, for the sun. They had a god for the moon. They had a god for the vegetation. They served many gods as opposed to the one God of Israel, of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Some translations say Yahweh alone, by himself. In other words, he's in control of everything. Not like the other nations that have all the many gods for every different thing. Next we come to Mishael. Mishael means who is what Elohim is. Elohim or God is. Glorification to Yahweh once again, whereas the name Meshach means he who belongs to the goddess Shishak. So his name went from glorification to Yahweh Elohim to glorification of a Babylonian goddess. Azariah, the last man here, his name means Yah has helped or Yahweh has helped, whereas Abednego means servant of Nebo. And this is not hard to find. You can look in a good study Bible or a good dictionary and you can find the, the definitions for these Babylonian names that were given to these guys. So these men had their Hebrew names taken from them, which exalted their creator, and had names attached to them that gave exaltation to false deities and thus idols. So around Babylon, they were known as Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These were not the names that, that they were given by their parents, by their Hebrew parents. Their Hebrew parents rather gave them names that exalted Almighty Yahweh and exalted the way of the Hebrew people. Let's look now at verse 8. Scripture says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. Daniel committed himself to Yahweh and believed that to partake of the king's food and the wine would be a defilement to him. Now, there's more than one way to understand this decision by Daniel. I'm going to give you three possibilities, and you can study and, and determine which one you believe is, is accurate or if maybe all of them are accurate. First, Daniel may have refrained from eating the king's food because it contained meat which would be considered unclean or unfit for a Judahite to eat. We know that there were laws in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy 14 where we find that some animals were not permissible to eat. Yahweh said, of these you may eat, and of these you may not eat. That's Yahweh's menu. That's how I witnessed to it about it. I said, Yahweh has a menu when I talk to people out in the world. And I said, I only eat those things that are on his menu. If it's not on his menu, I don't, I don't eat it. And so Daniel knew that there were meats that the king possibly was giving him that wasn't on the menu of Yahweh. They might have been on Nebuchadnezzar's menu, but not on Almighty Yahweh's menu. So therefore, Daniel says, I, even though I'm in this foreign land, I'm drawing the line here. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food, with the king's meat. Secondly, this is another possibility. It could have additionally been that all of the king's meat and wine had been offered in sacrifice to the gods which they served. Heathen nations offered animals and sacrifice to their gods, as well as drink offerings to their gods, and like the nation of Israel, when the nation of Israel would offer up drink offerings to Yahweh, it would consist of wine or strong drink. Not only, though, did the Israelites do this, but the other nations did as well. And it's possible, especially when we consider the wine, there's nothing like the animals of Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, there's nothing like that when it comes to wine in the Scriptures. Of this wine you may drink, and of this wine you may not drink. 
The Bible never says anything like that. It leads me to believe that there's a, a possibility here that maybe this wine had been used in service to false gods, false deities. That's a possibility. Therefore, he didn't want to partake of this wine that the king had. Thirdly, it may be as the Geneva Bible note. The Geneva Bible contains a lot of notes by a guy named John Calvin. I don't agree with everything that John Calvin taught. He did uh, have a lot of good ideas on a lot, of, a lot of scriptures. And he states in the Geneva Bible notes the following, quote, he states this, not that he thought any religion to be in meat or drink, for afterwards he did eat, but because the king should not entice him by this sweet poison to forget his religion and accustomed sobriety, and that in his meat and drink he might daily remember of what people he was from. And Daniel brings this in to show how God from the beginning assisted him with his spirit and at length called him to be a prophet. That's the end of that quote. In other words, Calvin here is saying basically that Daniel's refusal of the, the meat and the wine is, is this. You know, I don't need you to sustain me. I know you think that's the best for me, but I'm going to show you that I don't need to be under your care. I'm going to show you that I know a better way than you know. Now we're going to see that Daniel didn't do this pridefully. He didn't stand up boastfully in front of the king. He did it in a very humbling way. We see this in verses 9 through 10. The Bible says God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official. It said that Yahweh, God, granted Daniel favor and compassion with his chief official. Verse 10, Yet he said to Daniel, My Lord the king assigned your food and drink. I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king. So we see back in verse 8 that Daniel asks permission from this chief official. He doesn't demand it. He asks his permission. He said, if you would, I'd rather not partake of the king's food or drink his wine. I'd rather go another route. But the chief official knows, look, the king gave me orders. And if I don't give you what he's assigned you, he's going to cut my head off. You know, in other words, Daniel, you know, you, I need to be watched out after two. I understand your circumstance. And, and, you know, you're favorable in my eyes. Yahweh had made Daniel favorable in the eyes of the chief official, Ashpenaz. He said, but look, I, you know, I'm going to get killed by the king. If you don't let me do this, don't let me give you this stuff. Verse 11. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So Daniel here asks if they will just perform a test. In other words, before you let us go the whole three years, perform a test on us. Give us vegetables to eat and give us water to drink for about ten days. And at the end of these ten days, Daniel says that he wants this chief official to come and inspect their appearance as well as the appearance of the other men in training that are eating the king's food and that are drinking the king's wine. So the ten days were completed and the young men were examined and Daniel and the company of Daniel looked healthier. And literally, that Hebrew phrase is translated fatter in flesh than all the other young men in training. They were fatter in flesh. They looked healthier. 
And after this test, the guard agreed to continue to feed Daniel and company the vegetables that they had requested. A lot of people think that Daniel and his, and his buds only ate these vegetables and drank this water for 10 days. But no, they did it for three years. They tested them for 10 days and they continued to be on this diet for three years, the entire time that they were going through the training process. And obviously, Yahweh was with Daniel and Yahweh was with the other guys. So, even though the king, Nebuchadnezzar, thought he had the best food, the meat, and the best wine, evidently it wasn't the best thing. It wasn't the healthiest thing to be drinking and to be eating. You know, just because he thought it was healthy didn't make it healthy. You know, a lot of people eat and drink things today and think they're going to be okay, but doesn't necessarily make it so. So Daniel says, look, I know about this stuff. I'm a Hebrew. We watch out for ourselves. You need to give me what I'm accustomed to here. You watch and see. We'll look better. We'll be healthier. We'll appear. We'll have a better color. I think all that's what Daniel's talking about here in this, in this test. Next we come to verse 17. It says that God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. Yahweh blessed all of these men with great wisdom, all four of them. But Daniel was given a special gift of understanding visions and dreams of all sorts. And we only see a few people in the Bible that had this special gift of the visions and the dreams. To be able to have these visions, interpret these dreams, tell people prior in advance to something that was going to happen what it was that was going to take place. Daniel had all this wrapped up in that special gift that Yahweh gave him. Yahweh had favor on him even there in Babylonian captivity. Verses 18 through 21. Let's read those. It says, At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, which that was three years, remember chapter 1, verse 5, at the end of that three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. So he brought them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king interviewed them. They had an interview. Like a lot of times people go for a job interview, to sit down before somebody that they hope to be their employer. Daniel and Hanani and Mishael and Azariah, they stand in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he interviews them. And it says, And among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. These are people that consult Spirits that consult the dead, contradictory to Yahweh's law. But Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were given ten times more wisdom than the people that Nebuchadnezzar usually had serving in his court. So Yahweh blessed the Hebrews. Yahweh blessed the Judahites here because Daniel purposed not to defile himself. I believe that had a big part to do with it there. Yahweh continued to be with Daniel. Verse 21 ends by saying that Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And we'll see as we go through the book, Cyrus is the last king to be spoken of in the book of Daniel. And Daniel remained in Babylon all the way through his adulthood, even into his elderly age. And he continued to serve Yahweh in spite of every circumstance that he found himself in. So let me close out by giving you a few points about what we learned from Daniel chapter 1. The first thing that I learned when, I, when I'm studying these verses and that I think about 
is this, is that we are to seek for ways to glorify Yahweh in our life, even in the small matters. A lot of times we're always looking for something big to do for Yahweh, and that's not always bad. Matter of fact, that can be real good sometimes when we do something very, very big, maybe even public for Yahweh. Maybe even on a governmental scale where it's even in the news at times. That can be a good thing. But do you know that we have to serve Yahweh even in the small matters? Even in the small matters in our life? You know, the parents of these four men had given them names that uplifted the Creator. That's what the parents had done for these children. This shows that the fathers and the mothers of these men sought to glorify Yahweh even in the matters that others may feel to be insignificant. Even in the matter of naming their children. They said, we're going to give them names that uplift Yahweh. I did this with all of my children. I made sure before I gave them a name that I found out what that name meant. Because I didn't want to give them a name that meant command of Aku. Or dedicated to Shishak the goddess. Right? I don't want my child growing up with that kind of a name. So I checked out the meaning of the name before naming my child. That seems like a small matter. Maybe insignificant to some. Maybe even in the world's eyes, it would seem kind of silly. But not according to the parents of these four men. They took the time to give their children, their sons, names that uplifted Yahweh and His ways. Serving Yahweh even in the small matters, it makes a difference. That's something we can learn from this chapter. Secondly, we can also learn this. Don't allow a terrible circumstance to drive you away from serving Yahweh. Sometimes, glory be to the Father, people go through a very, very bad circumstance in life and it brings them close to Yahweh. That's good. But most of the time, what happens is, is when they go through a very bad circumstance, they start pointing a finger at Yahweh and start blaming Yahweh. And a lot of times they fall away from Him and they don't serve Him anymore. Of course, I believe that they never really served Him to begin with if they fall away from Him like that. I don't believe there really was a regeneration there, personally. That's my belief on it. But we should never allow those circumstances to drive us away from the Father. Never. Never. I'm sure that Daniel would have rather been in Jerusalem. I'm sure he would rather be there at the standing temple where the Israelites worshipped. I'm sure he would rather be keeping the feasts at the place that Yahweh chose to put his name. But he recognized that this was where Yahweh had him at this moment. And Daniel made the best out of that situation. It didn't matter what happened to him. He'd been dragged away from his home. Placed into a land of confusion. Given a name that uplifted the chief god of the Babylonians. He could have very easily turned away from the worship of Yahweh, like many people do when they're in circumstances that are a lot less worse than what Daniel had. But Daniel remained true, brother. He remained true to his God and to his worship of that God. Point number three that we can learn is this. Do not think that captivity means that you quit obeying Yahweh's laws. Now, I don't... This is not a a full sweep over all circumstances, but we should never use an excuse to not keep Yahweh's laws because we say, well, we're in captivity. Daniel said, when they brought me something that I knew was going to defile me, I said, no, thank you. 
I'm not going to partake. What if Daniel threw up his hand and said, Well, you know, this is where I'm at. I know Yahweh's law says this, but I'm really not going to worry about it. I'll, you know, bring me the, bring me the, the roasted ham and, and, uh, and, and bring me this, this, this wine. I know it's, you know, been used in your worship and everything, but I'm here. No, he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. He said, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's meat or with the wine that he drinks. You give me something that I know won't defile me. Do you know that there's certain things that we can put into our bodies that defile us? If Yahweh says, don't put this in your body, and you put it in your body, you defile yourself. You do. There's a way to defile yourself with false doctrine. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 3 talks about it. It says, you are the temple of Yahweh, where the Spirit of Yahweh dwells. Don't defile the temple of Yahweh. And people rip that out of its context. But what it's talking about is false doctrine. You grab a hold of false doctrine. You believe false doctrine. You don't study the Bible to find out if what you believe is accurate. And you follow false doctrine and you live false doctrine. You are a defiled individual. Now praise Yahweh, you can repent and come out of that. Yahweh can bless you. But you can be defiled. I'm sure that there were some laws that Daniel couldn't possibly obey. I'm sure of that. I know that he couldn't go to Jerusalem when the feast days came around. I understand that. What Daniel could obey, he did obey. He didn't use his captivity as an excuse. Don't use your circumstance as an excuse to quit obeying Yahweh's laws. Do everything in your power to keep the laws of Yahweh. Amen? I get excited because I'm very passionate about, about Yahweh's laws. I love them. And, and I believe He loves it when we keep them. I do. Even when the king's order said different, Daniel said no. I know the king gave the orders, but I'm going in the direction that I know Yahweh would have me go. Point number four, approach the situations Yahweh places you in with humility. Boy, we all need this one. Our society is so braggadocious and so prideful and boastful. And it's always about me, myself, and I, and never about what we can do for others. And we always approach situations with pride and that we already know all of the answers and we've got everything figured out and we're not humble. You know, the Bible says that Yahweh exalts the humble, but He brings down those that are prideful. And so, you know what? It's better to just go ahead and humble yourself now because if you don't, He's going to humble you anyhow. So just go ahead and humble yourself. Seek Him in humility. That's what Daniel did. When Daniel wanted to not eat the king's food or drink the king's wine, you know what he did? He didn't go in and point his finger at the king of Babylon and say, listen, buddy, I'm not eating your food and I'm not drinking. That's No, that's not what he did. He didn't go in there like that. He probably got himself killed if he did that. He requested. He made a request for the chief official. He said, if you would, please grant me. Grant me not to eat this. He said, I'd rather be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You know what? A lot of times we can get more done if we approach situations in humility than we can if we approach them pointing the finger and with an uplifted, boastful attitude. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You might have to go ask your boss about something. You don't go in there with a prideful attitude. That boss is, is going to have his or her way with you, right? No, you go in there with a humble attitude. You get a lot more accomplished. 
As a matter of fact, you shine the light of Yeshua the Messiah towards that person. Because you're humble. Because you're not bragging. You're, you have humility. Much can be gained by approaching matters with humility and a soft word. I've tried it out before. I've made the mistake many times, many times, of not using the soft word and using the prideful word. And you know what, Danny? I messed up every time I did it, brother. Every single time. You know, I go back and I think about it and I rehearse those times in my, in my life and I'm thinking, you know, what in the world was I doing? And then I think about the times, and it's a lot fewer, but I'm thankful for the grace of Yahweh in my life, the times that I, I gave that soft word, that humble approach. People just, when you humble yourself, they're, they're, they're just more willing to listen. Even when you witness to people, you know? I mean, do you, do you hit them over the head with a hammer when you witness to them? You know? I mean, is, is it like you're taking a roof and hammer to their temple when you're witnessing? Or are you doing it in a spirit of meekness and a spirit of love and with humility? You know, brother, let me show you. Let me show you how I understand this. Let me show you what Yahweh says in the scripture. I'd like to share with you my understanding. Instead of, you know what, you doggone sinner, you know you're going straight to straight to hell with all the demons and all the, you know, how do you witness to people? Is it with pride or is it with humility? You get a lot more accomplished if you do like Daniel. And you're humble in your approach. You get a lot more accomplished. Point number five, and this is the last point of the sermon. Yahweh rewards dedication even though it seems like you've dedicated yourself to Him for a long time. Daniel was in training for three years. Three years. And a lot of times we go and we kneel, get down on our knees and we pray. And when we get up, we look around and we see if the answer has came. Now, I'm not saying that the answer can't come quickly. It can. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it might take three years. I've had prayers not be answered until seven years before. That's me. But you just continue to pray. Continue to trust Yahweh. Daniel was in training for three years. But because he kept himself pure to Yahweh for those three years, do you know that Yahweh rewarded that dedication? Did you know that Yahweh rewards obedience, brothers and sisters? He does. He rewards those that obey Him. That's a truth found in His Word. His commitment to Yahweh, that is Daniel's, didn't result in his being led back to Jerusalem the next day. I don't know that Daniel ever got to go back to Jerusalem. I don't, I'm not sure on that. So when he prayed, when he dedicated to Yahweh, it wasn't like Yahweh sent an angel and transported him back to his homeland. But He did reward him. He did give him his request for the vegetables and the water. He gave him what he wanted to eat. That's a good request, isn't it? Get what you want to eat. And he also gave him a high seat of authority in a Babylonian government that did not serve Yahweh. Yahweh gave Daniel a high seat in a government position. No matter how long you stay dedicated to Yahweh, never give up on him. Never. If it's three years for you or if it's 33 years for you, and you wait 33 years for His reward, or if you wait a lifetime for His reward and you don't get it to the resurrection, you still stay true to Yahweh. Because you will be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous. Yeshua taught a parable in the book of Luke. And He said when you have a banquet, He said don't call your friends over. 
don't call everybody that you want to come over. He said, but call the people that are lame and that are poor, those that can't repay you, because you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So sometimes we'll just have to tough it out until we die and we take part in the resurrection and we'll be given rewards, as 1 Corinthians 3 talks about. It'll be like that gold tried by fire. You will receive that reward that Yahweh promises. Hallelujah. If you give those works to the Father, stay dedicated to Him. I know sometimes, believe me, I know sometimes you get down and out. I'm, I'm the same way. Sometimes you feel like you're so far away from Yahweh and so far away from being spiritual and so far away from His laws. But you still stay true. You still stay firm. You don't give up. And you know that you know that you know that you're going to get rewarded just like Daniel was. And in the end, you'll be able to give glory and praise to Yahweh and you'll be a great witness to those outside of the faith on what you did. And we're going to see this isn't the end. As we go next week into Daniel chapter 2, we're going to begin to see that Yahweh started to do wonderful things for Daniel. Gave him high positions. And even Yahweh through Daniel changed the heart of pagan kings to even serve him and his laws. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Father Yahweh, we glorify you and we thank you. Oh, Father, thank you for this book. I'm, I'm privileged to be able to teach out of it, Father. And I pray, Father, that we might get in that same mindset and spirit of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We glory in you, Yahweh. And it's through your Son that we pray, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.